This morning, our scripture comes from um, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56. You can find this in your pew Bibles on page 724. And again, our, uh, it comes from Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believes that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the reading of God's word. Morning. (laughs) So on April 29, 2011, millions of people across the U.S., probably some of you guys, stayed up late to watch the royal wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. They rejoiced at the announcement of their marriage, and just a little over a year later, they rejoiced over the announcement of their pregnancy. And news outlets were covering the story of this baby, Prince George. And Twitter feeds erupted as everyone, hundreds of people, shouted out their congratulations to this royal couple over this royal baby. This baby who was going to be an heir to the throne of England. This baby who had... So many people rejoicing at his conception, and he didn't even know it. And that makes me think of how much more should we rejoice over the conception of Christ. We left off last week right after Mary, having been visited by an angel of the Lord, was told, You will be with child, give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, if I was Mary, I'd be going, what? I'd be freaking out. You know, first of all, this is an angel visiting me. You know, that's crazy just by itself. And now this angel is telling me, this young teenage girl, things about my body, my womb, my womb. I mean, that's not right. But as... But Luke narrates Mary as if she just nonchalantly and faithfully says, 
Now, how's it going to be since I'm a virgin? And so the angel Gabriel tells her how this is going to happen. And then he gives her this sign. He makes this point. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. This is where our story today picks up. So Mary sets out with haste to journey to a town in the hill country of Judea. To visit who? To visit Elizabeth. The same Elizabeth that was just mentioned. The same Elizabeth that Gabriel mentioned right after he said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you, a virgin, will give birth to the Messiah. So Mary sets out on this journey and you can envision her gathering her things together, uh, bringing together some food because this isn't a day trip. Elizabeth lives about 80 to 100 miles away from where Mary is in Nazareth. And for the, us, that's, you know, that's nothing. That's the distance between CBCGB and Springfield or, or Hartford, Connecticut. We can make that in a couple hours. But Elizabeth doesn't have, or Mary doesn't have the opportunity to rent a zip card and take a road trip down there. And this trip would have taken you know, at least three to four days. And she would have needed to join on one of these caravans so she doesn't have to travel alone. So Mary's going out of her way to visit Elizabeth, who Gabriel mentioned. And so she journeys and she journeys and she finally reaches the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. She enters in and she greets Elizabeth. Now, an important thing that we see from this encounter between these two soon-to-be mothers is that Mary's baby is special. Mary's baby is special. You know, the angel Gabriel announced it earlier on, yeah. But now we have non-angelic witnesses supporting this claim. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, uh, who's going to be John the Baptist, he leaps for joy at the arrival of baby Jesus. Now this leaping doesn't mean that he's just bouncing around in her womb. It doesn't mean that he's doing jumping jacks or burpees or crossfit or whatever inside her womb. I mean, yeah, it means some sort of fetal movement. But Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, so she sees this as not just normal fetal movement. You see, when I was a baby, I was a stubborn baby when my mom was pregnant with me. And I refused to be in the normal baby position. And you moms will probably know where you you have the tuck chin and the the arms and the, the legs up. My chin was sticking out and up, you know, high and mighty or whatever. So any sort of fetal movement probably didn't produce the same amount of joy that John the Baptist did. But normal fetal movement, whether with a tuck chin or untucked chin, it's not going to produce the type of response that we see from Elizabeth here. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and so she understands and, and sees her son John leaping for joy as a response to the arrival of Mary's baby, because Mary's baby is special. And then Elizabeth goes on and she blesses Mary. And this is interesting because it shouldn't happen like this. Mary should be the one blessing Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who supposedly is the older one. You know, Mary walks in and she enters into the home and then she greets Elizabeth. And that's right, that sounds right. But there's a reversal here. Elizabeth is the one blessing Mary. I, like many of you, was taught at a young age to, when you enter into a room, to greet your, to your elders, your aunties, your uncles, your older brothers and sisters. 
And so when you enter into a room, you'd see me as a young boy just going at it in Chinese, you know, saying hi to my aunties and uncles and aunties and uncles, just going down the list and mixing in a couple of brothers and sisters here and there. But in our text today, there's a reversal. Elizabeth blesses Mary. Elizabeth is blessing her and she says, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth blesses Mary because of the child within her womb. And in her joyful response, she goes even further. She says, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She just called Jesus Lord. Who does that? I mean, we do that because we know and we believe. But back then, who would do such a thing? Where is this coming from? Remember that Zechariah, her husband, is still mute at the time. And he went into that temple and he's standing between, before the altar of incense, doing his priestly duties, lighting the incense. And then poof, the angel Gabriel appears out of nowhere and he's like, yo, don't be scared. You know, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to be pregnant. You will have a son, son John and he's going to be a joy and he will prepare the way for the Lord. And later he says, oh, by the way, and because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute until the day this happens. And John the Baptist is, hasn't been born yet. Zechariah is still mute. So you can envision him you know, exiting the temple. He came in being able to speak, came out not even being able to say a word. So he's making all these motions and signals and trying to rock the baby and playing charades, trying to convey to Elizabeth, you know, what just happened? And if Elizabeth didn't understand what happened, she probably understood part of it when she got pregnant, hopefully. But how do you even convey the fact that, you know, this angel appeared to you, you're going to have uh, this son, and the son's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And who knows if Zechariah even knew about the baby in Mary's womb. And so, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of this, she sees the baby as not just a normal baby, but she calls Jesus Lord. And the God of Israel is called Lord 23 times in just the beginning of this narrative. 23 times. Luke wants us to see that the baby inside Mary's womb is not just some normal baby. It's the baby He's special. He's divine. He's Lord. Now what follows is very interesting. It's like in those Disney movies or, I don't know, like High School Musical or, or Les Mis where you have someone like Aladdin or Mulan. You know, they're engaging in some encounter or conversation. And then it leads them to them belting out a song. And so like with Aladdin, he like brings up Jasmine onto the flying carpet and then they fly off and then they're talking and he goes into seeing a whole new world. So where, with Elizabeth, she's thrilled at the news of this conception. She rejoices and she proclaims, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child who will bear, and blessed are you because you believe. And Mary, caught up in this joy, responds with her own song. And she praises God for what He's done for her. She sings this, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. And what is it exactly that God has done for Mary? Mary praises God, not simply because of this pregnancy, but because this pregnancy means something more. And she sings that all generations will call her blessed. Now, that's not something that we do today. We don't bless someone just because they're pregnant, and nor do our following generations. And she sings that all that God has done great things for her. She's praising God not just because she's pregnant, but because she's pregnant with the baby, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, as parents, we, we get excited about being pregnant. You know, I can't speak from first-hand experience, but I assume that, you know, that's true. You know, excited may even be an understatement. You know, we have these baby showers and these gender reveal parties and, and all these other things. And as a, as a parent, you know, as, or as a future parent, I would envision what I would want my, my child to accomplish in life. I would want him to grow up, to succeed in life, to love God and to love others, and to make an impact on this world. And Mary's a mother. You know, Mary's a parent like many of you guys. She probably had the same desires. But her desires weren't wishful thinking. They were grounded in the promise of God. They were sure. She knew her baby was going to make an impact. Now we're approaching the the Christmas season, a time where we're trying to fit in the celebration of Christ amidst all all of our family reunions and snowboarding, skiing, gift giving, all of that. Why do we celebrate birthdays? Is it just to celebrate that we made it another year, to celebrate that we're just getting one year younger or, or whatever? You know, rarely do we ever celebrate birthdays because of what we know the baby will accomplish. You know, most of the time we celebrate, you know, someone who's older because of what they have accomplished. Or we celebrate it because you know, they're born. And maybe you could argue with, you know, the baby Prince George that, because he's an heir to the throne, he'll have some sort of influence on this world. But even then, I'm not too familiar with British royalty. I don't know exactly what he will accomplish. But with Mary and Jesus, she knew her baby was going to do something. Because she wasn't just having a baby, she was having the baby, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Mary continues in her song, and she's praising God for choosing her to bear this special baby. God remembers her lowly status, her humble state. And despite her low social status, she's been granted this status of divine favor. When Gabriel first encountered Mary, he says this, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And later he says, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And this is the kind of God we worship. One who remembers the lowly and lifts them up. And Mary continues this on because uh, she's building it up to this magnific- magnificent finish. You know, for us, some of the expressions that she uses, some of the phrases that she uses, they seem confusing to us. We don't really get what she's saying. But she has a point. And she began with a simple praise to God to, for choosing her to bear this, uh, this special baby. 
then she transitions over to praising God for what he's done for Israel. She praises him not only because of what he's done for her, but because what he's done for her is a small piece of the larger picture of what he's done for Israel. And so she sings this. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. And when Mary sings this, she is deliberately placing everything in the past tense. He did this and he did that. Because it harkens back to the time of the Exodus. It harkens back to when God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And when she's seeing this song, she's remembering the, the history of her people. She's remembering the, when growing up, the, hearing the stories of her people. Seeing this song, she remembers the faithfulness of God. A faithful God who remains steadfast to this covenant with his people, even though his people continually rejected him. And so she sings this. A d- deliverance has come for Israel, and now deliverance comes through the baby in her womb. And while she's seeing this, not only does she look back, she looks forward as well to what God will accomplish through Christ. And this is a time where, uh, this is a sign of hope, of joy amidst oppression. For them, they're still under Roman occupation. She sings about the proud, the powerful, the prosperous. And these are the people who are oppressing the lowly right now. And these are all the same people, the proud, the powerful, and the prosperous, who are going to be toppled over because of God's concern for the lowly. His concern for the lowly reminds us of what Jesus did here during his ministry on earth. It reminds us of what he will do when he returns. You know, when Jesus was here, he spent time with the outsiders. Spend time hanging with the sinners and preaching good news to the poor. Now as she is finishing up her song, she makes this important point of how she ends it. And what we talked about, the, the conception of the baby, and the deliverance for Israel and salvation, salvation for us, it ties to this point that in verse 54 it says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God has remembered his covenant with his people. His covenant that I will be your God, you will be my people. You guys remember the promises to Abraham, right? It's been hammered into your brains and hammered into mine since when we did Joshua. You know, land, seed, blessing to the nations. It is through Christ that these promises are coming to fruition. It's through Christ that we, who aren't Jewish people, can be part of the people of God. It is through Christ that we, who, those of us who are sitting in these pews today, can actually sit in these pews today and to worship God and to, to have a relationship with Him. And the conception of Christ indicates that God is fulfilling His promise to promises to us. And that's good news for us. We should rejoice at that. 
The conception of the baby confirms the fulfillment of the promise. The conception of the baby confirms the fulfillment of the promise. What does that mean for us today? How does this apply to our situation? You know, it's not like Gabriel will go poof right here on stage and, and tell me or us or our spouses that, you know, you have a baby of Messiah and you, congratulations. And me as a guy, I don't want to experience firsthand the joy that Mary experienced for giving, being chosen to give birth to the Messiah. You know, we can't experience firsthand that joy. So what joy can we experience? Let me ask you a question. Why do we celebrate Advent? Why do we light these candles in the weeks leading up to our Christmas service? What's the purpose of these candles? And maybe a better question is, what is Advent? I was reading an article recently that talked about uh, celebrating Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word for coming. We, we all know who's coming that refers to, you know, Jesus, the Sunday school answer. Advent is a celebration of waiting. But this isn't the type of laid-back waiting when you're waiting for your burger from McDonald's or waiting to pick up your kids from mustard seed. Or, well, I don't, I don't know if that's laid-back waiting, but waiting to pick up your friends from their houses. This, it's a celebration of waiting, yet it's a celebration of anticipation. Mary and Israel waited for the coming of the Messiah. But not only did they wait, they yearned for His coming. They anticipated it. They looked forward to it. And now Christ is coming. Christ came. He has fulfilled His promises. And they didn't expect what it was like when He came. And Christ came to die for the sins of this world and to reconcile the world to God. He came to fulfill these promises to Abraham so that we you know, can be the people of God. The conception of the baby confirms the fulfillment of the promise. You know, I went Black Friday shopping a couple years ago. And you know, at that time, I was looking to buy the Nintendo Wii. Nintendo Wii was like really difficult to, har- to find at that time. So in the months leading up to Black Friday, I was just on the web a uh, few hours a day just looking at these tracker sites that tracked which sites in these stores had it in stock. None of it had it in stock. And I'm pretty sure the sites worked, so I don't think I was wasting my time or anything. Um, so when Black Friday finally arrived, you know, I knew some store out there had to have it. I've waited long enough. So I eat my Thanksgiving dinner, take a quick nap, get up, get refreshed, head out around 11 p.m. to go see my friends. And we meet up, we drive over to Toys R Us because we receive word that Toys R Us might have a couple in stock. There's a line there, so we, we join the line. It's cold, and we're bundled up in our layers. And we're waiting there. And after a few hours, this Toys R Us employee, this guy, he walks up to the door, unlocks it. The doors slide open, and we're like motioning forward, and he's like, the delivery truck with the weeds didn't make it in time. I'm like, no! I was devastated. You know, I've been waiting so long. It's 3 a.m., I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm going to go home. 
Now I want my Nintendo Wii. And so we, we rush over to the mall, to GameStop, and there they, you know, they, they had it. But the line was long, so we get in line. And the store opens, and the line begins to move slowly, one step at a time. Now I'm so focused on waiting that I still have all my layers. I'm still wearing a, you know, a t-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, my hoodie, and then my blue North Face, you know, the Denali fleece jacket. And I'm burning up, but I don't care. Because all of my focus is on waiting, on anticipating this purchase. And as the line moves, I'm so worried that they're not going to have enough. I'm like trying to bob my head up and down, trying to count how many white boxes I see behind the counter. And then doing some simple math, trying to count how many people are in front of me. I'm so worried that the guy in front of me is going to be that guy. That guy who gets the last one. And as the line continues moving on, in my anticipation for this purchase, you know, I start grabbing all these accessories and games that are just lined up alongside of us, which I think, you know, that's probably a brilliant marketing move. And so finally, I, I approach the cash register. I plop all these accessories and controllers and games on there. And I don't say something as calmly as, you know, may I have a Nintendo Wii, kind sir? Thank you. No, I'm trying to contain the excitement in my voice as I'm bobbing my head up and down trying to find where the white boxes are. I'm like, I want that one. Thank you. Nintendo Wii. And when I made that purchase, the joy overwhelmed me. And I was still... I was still burning up, but I didn't care. You know, my friends took a picture afterwards. And we're lined up with our Nintendos, we. And, and you have friend one, you know, good looking, looks, no, looks normal, holding his Nintendo Wii. Friend two also looks good looking, normal. And then you have me, and my face is completely beet red from the heat. But I don't care, because you have this huge smile over my face, and I'm holding Nintendo Wii. And so I experienced that joy over a gaming system. How much more joy should we experience over the conception of Christ? You know, I think the difficult truth at times is that it's easier to rejoice over a gaming system, over a a new set of makeup brushes, over new clothes or a new computer, than it is to rejoice over Christ. The conception of the baby confirms the fulfillment of the promise. For us, the birth of Christ was 2,000 years ago. You know, we don't have to wait for the Messiah in the same way that Israel did. You know, he came. I mean, yes, we are waiting for his, his second coming when he returns, and we look forward to that. We read about Christ every day of our lives, or you know, at least every Sunday. You know, the, the promises to Abraham were even more than 2,000 years ago. Can we rejoice over something that happened so long ago? How do you feel when you think about the birth of Christ? Why do you feel that way? Do you think about the birth of Christ? I know, I know it's hard to, to think about it out of sight, out of mind. How do you feel when you think about the fact that, that Christ has come? And what this means is that God is fulfilling His promises and that this promise has relevance to us. That we can now worship God. That we can be called the people of God. We can be called His children. How do you feel when we, about the fact that we worship a faithful God? One who holds true to His promises. You know, when we read about this story about 
Mary visiting Elizabeth. And then Mary responding in her joyous song. It's about who God is and what he's done. Because what, that's what the passage is about. It's about who God is and what he's done. So let's rejoice. Because the conception of the baby confirms the fulfillment of the promise. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. We praise you, Lord, for what you've done and who you are, that you are a faithful God, that you have remained steadfast to this covenant, that you have kept us, your children, in your sight, that you have brought this special baby into the world. And what what this means is that we can be reconciled to you, Lord. This is the good news, Lord. And so we praise you and we continue to exalt you, Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.